Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 9, it says, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. We've heard that a few times. Now, it's been a while since we've actually covered this, but we're in this series of Genesis and it's called Multiplied. We've titled this series Multiplied because we not only see the word multiplied pop up throughout Genesis, but God is multiplying life on earth. He creates the earth and He begins to multiply. And He gives this command, be fruitful and multiply. And it's not for the sake of merely having life on earth. God is multiplying the earth and life on earth because He's ultimately working towards multiplying the population of heaven. That is the end result. That is the end goal. And we, we're keeping that in mind going through Genesis. And what that means for us is that eternity in God's covenant, His promise of salvation, that's really the main point of Genesis. If I would rename this series, I'd probably call it Covenant. Because it's the covenant that's pointing us to Christ. That's pointing us to heaven. Where, where we're being multiplied in heaven. And here he tells Jacob, hey, be fruitful and multiply. You're my chosen nation. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. He said this to Adam in the very beginning. He said this to Noah after the flood. And he's saying it to Jacob right now. And I just, we're going to have a biblical worldview moment right now. Okay? I want you to get your biblical worldview straight if you don't have it straight already. Because according to the biblical narrative and a biblical worldview, God's desire and design and call is that we would be fruitful in life, productive, and that we would multiply, that we would have children, that we would have healthy, we would produce healthy families. That's God's desire. That's, that's His call for us. And we all fulfill that call in various ways. And at no point in God's, in God's Word or throughout history did God ever say, whoa, whoa, let's pump the brakes on this whole family deal because the population is getting a little out of control. No, He doesn't say that at all. In fact, we could read all the way to Revelation and He never takes back His, his command and desire and blessing for us to be fruitful and multiply. And spoiler alert, we can read about the end of the world in Revelation and it doesn't happen because people have too many kids. That's not why the world ends. That's not it. Now, what I want to do, in fact, a a society that is growing and raising healthy families, they're walking in God's design and direction, and they're actually proving that they are a society blessed by God. If a society is able to grow and raise healthy families, that's evidence that God has blessed that society as they've walked in obedience to it. Now, I want you to think about this. If this is what a biblical worldview says, let's, let's line this up to some worldly ideologies, some of the worldview that we see out there, okay? And see if they're even the slightest bit uh, congruent. 
One, one huge ideology that's, in fact, all of these are very pervasive on a global scale, but one of them that's huge right now is climate change. Climate change. Say what you will about climate change, okay? Uh, again, another newsflash, we read about the end of the world, and the world doesn't end because of greenhouse gases. That's, that's not to say we shouldn't take care of our environment, right? We should take care of our environment. We should be smart. But I want to tell you that climate, this whole climate agenda is not going to end the world. If you're a Christian, you already know that. You can see the end. But I want to tell you the danger in, climate, in, in the whole climate change, climate control agenda, and that is one of the major solutions for climate control is population control. To, to stifle the population of the earth. This, I'm not, this isn't conspiracy theory. They'll openly say we need to decrease the population. Population control is where climate change will lead you in that worldview. Let, let's look at the obvious one, abortion. Abortion is population control. They call it health care, but it's not healthy and it's not caring. It's killing babies. And it's really... Uh, they're, they're very specific about where they put these, uh, these Planned Parenthoods in the neighborhoods because they're trying to control the population. And again, you don't have to dig very far to see some of the founders express this, verb, to verbalize this. This is what, openly what they believe. It's population control is what it is. And the third one I'll mention, I, can, I could keep mentioning more, but socialism is kind of a big, a big one that that pertains to what we're talking about. Socialism is very popular right now, which blows my mind. I'm 37. If I look back to like when I was in high school, even just like, even just 20 years ago, and someone openly, a politician was openly saying, I want socialism. They would have been laughed at and kicked out because it was so obvious where socialism leads countries. And yet now we're at a place in our country where people are, are openly promoting and wanting America to become a socialist nation. And this is why, because it's pitched as the, the answer to creating a utopia where nobody's poor, everybody's equal, everyone's the same, and, it, and life is great. And the way that they implement it is by giving government full control of society. The government has full authority over society. So they tell you how much money you can make. They tell you what kind of car you, you, you can buy and what kind of car you can drive. And yes, it will eventually come down to them telling you how many kids you can have as they control the population. It leads to population control. I mean, look at China. China's in a mess right now because they've controlled their population to the point where it's actually hurting them. They've reached a point where the older generation is passing away and they're actually, it's, it's really hurting their economy and hurting their society because of population control. And now, it's not a coincidence that those who champion social, most of the people who champion socialism also champion abortion, pro-choice, and they also champion global warming and that issue. They're, they're typically in the same boat. And I just want to ask you, if it's God's desire and design that we would be fruitful and multiply, whose design and desire is it to stifle the population? It becomes pretty clear why Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. And he has blinded the eyes of the world. And it seems very moral. I'm just taking care of the environment. I'm just offering health care. I'm just trying to look out for my poor uh, friends in the community. It looks very moral, but does it line up with the biblical worldview? 
And that's what you need to ask yourself. Be fruitful and multiply, he says. So the Lord, he continues this promise of blessing over Jacob. And he says, hey, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in that place where he had spoken with him. And verse 14, Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Again, the house of God. Now, I don't know if you've, as you're reading that, was thinking, well, didn't we already read this? Didn't we already cover this? Yes, God is actually repeating the blessing he's already given to Jacob. And then he's repeating the name change that he already told Jacob when, when they wrestled through the night before he met Esau. Which means, guys, as, as Jacob returns to the Lord to, to reconnect with the Lord, there's nothing new that God is, wants to tell Jacob. There's no new information for Jacob. It's, it's just a reminder of what God has already spoken to Jacob. That's all, that's all God knew Jacob needed. He just needed reminding of what the truth was. And the same is true for us, guys. As we return to the Lord, as we seek fresh vision from the Lord, don't look for new information. It's not new information that we need. It's the word that God has already spoken. It's the word that we have sitting in your lap right now. It's the Bible. It's the gospel message. There's no new information that you need. In fact, be, beware if you're on the lookout for new information. If, you're, if you love listening to teachers who present things that, that are new, because you're very susceptible to fall for false doctrine, to fall for a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? The solution isn't to hear something new. The solution is to trust in the age-old truth of God's Word, guys. That's it. Paul said, hey, he's writing to the Philippians, and he probably told them these things till he was blue in the face, and he has to write. He says, look, for me to write these things and repeat these things to you, it's not tedious, but it's, for you it is safe. I know it may seem tedious to repeat myself and to say all these things, but it's necessary. It's safe. We would repeat the Word of God. We don't need anything else. People will come to the church, obviously. They'll seek pastoral counseling. Um, some of you guys seek pastoral counseling. It's good. It's good to seek pastors for advice, to look at the Word of God. But some people will come to me and to, to some of the other pastors as well, and they'll say, hey, you know, I got this sin in my life. I know what the Bible says about it, but... Again, I don't, I don't want to, I still don't want to stop sinning. I still don't, what do I do? I, I know what the Bible says and I don't, or, or, or people will come and be like, hey, I know the gospel. I know that like God forgives me if I confess my sins. I know all the scriptures, but I just don't feel forgiven. I don't feel like God loves me. I don't feel that. Now, those are two different camps, two different people, right? Who, who, who I would react to in two different ways. But something similar in the way I react to them is I, Basically, I, I, I give them the same Bible verses that they most of the time already know. And then at that point, there's nothing else but to say believe. Believe and obey. There, there's nothing new to tell you. There's, there's no new information. I have no formula of words that I can put together in a new, fresh way to make it click. It's the same gospel truth. Believe it and obey it. I can't do that for you. A pastor can't believe for you. A, a pastor can't repent for you. 
And people come and they want some new fresh word. They want some new inspiration. It's like, there is no new gospel that can save you. It might be born If you grew up in the church especially, it might sound boring. You might have heard it a thousand times, but it is the only gospel that will save you and it is precious. And we need to recognize that. We need to not allow our hearts to grow complacent. God repeats Himself to us because He's given us all that we need already. Therefore, all He has to do is repeat. And I love Jacob because he responds in belief. He responds in faith. And he worships. He responds by worshiping the Lord because he truly did believe. Now, we're going to cover this next section. We'll get through it fairly quickly, but we're really getting caught up on some significant events that take place in Jacob's life. Verse 16, and in his family. It says, Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor. And she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, by the way, just a medical thought here, um, the baby was probably coming out backwards. What is it, breech? Uh, If she could tell the gender of the baby before the baby was fully delivered, right? Don't fear, you're going to have a son. And as, as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb, and it is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Notice he's going by Israel now. So as they travel from Bethel, they're likely heading to Hebron where Isaac lives, where Jacob grew up. And Rachel goes into labor with their last, their final kid and Jacob's last son. And it's, it's around the area of Bethlehem where this takes place. And she dies after delivering the son. And it's just this tragic situation. She's, she's there and she's, she's feeling sorrowful, but she's with it enough to be able to say, this is the son of my sorrow. And so it's this very emotional experience where a new life has come in, but, but Jacob just lost his, his, the wife that he loved, right? The one that he really, truly loved. And she says, son of my sorrow will be his name. And Jacob, either right away or down the road, uh, he says, you know, I can't, I can't have this kid be named son. I can't call this kid a name that's going to remind me of my wife's death every time I call his name. I'm going to call him son of my right hand. Son of my right hand. That's what we're going to call him. Now, this is it. what's interesting about this, guys, is of all the 12 brothers of the tribes of Israel, without question, Joseph is the one who's most like the type of Christ. We're going to get into it. There's, in fact, there's more on the life of Joseph than anyone else in the book of Genesis. And he is such a picture of Christ. It's going to be awesome to study the life of Joseph. However, we kind of miss sometimes that Benjamin is also, there's some typology of Christ in here. And I don't know if you picked up on it. But he was born in or near Bethlehem. He was initially called son of my sorrow and is the son of the right hand. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and yet he's also the son of God who is seated at the right hand of God. And so in this, we see a picture of Christ in this 
playing out. We see a picture of a suffering Messiah and a glorious Messiah in the birth of Benjamin who was born in the area of Bethlehem. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that cool? Not to mention that, but later on as we read in verse 42, and I love, I love like geeking out about this Bible prophecy stuff, but in, verse 40, in chapter 42, Joseph will rise to power in, in Egypt, being outcasted by his brothers, and they will stand before him. They won't recognize him. And so in this moment when they meet Jake, Joseph has the ability to either throw them into prison or receive them as family. And the terms on which he will receive them in, as family or throw them into prison will be based on the brother's relationship with Benjamin. In other words, if the brothers have a right relationship with Benjamin and they're treating Benjamin right, Jacob will know that they've repented and will receive them into the family. The same is true for you and me, guys. There is coming a day where we will stand before God and God will have the ability to cast us into outer darkness, into, into everlasting prison, or accept us as family. And the conditions that He chooses for us to be rejected or accepted will be based on our relationship with Jesus. So we have these typologies in Benjamin as well. It's pretty cool, pretty neat, right? Verse 22. While Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. Never a dull moment in the family of Jacob, right? And Israel, it says, heard of it. Jacob heard of it. So there's this, this brief mention of Reuben committing this very dishonorable act, and, and it, it will catch up with Reuben because at the end of Reuben's, or at the end of Jacob's life, when he prophesies over Reuben, he says to Reuben, he, in fact, he starts off by saying, hey, your strength, you are dignity. There is so much potential in you as my firstborn son. Like Reuben could have been the amazing king over Israel, king over the nation as the firstborn. And yet it seems because of this reason, he's not. Because Jacob goes on to say, but you are unstable. He says, you will not excel because of what you've done, because of you, you laid with my maidservant. But essentially, all this potential in Reuben squandered because of this one act. And guys, the Bible, just read the book of Proverbs. Men, I'm telling you, Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 6, it says that the men who fall into adultery, who fall prey to a seductress, those who fall there are mighty men. They're mighty men. They're not, they're not weaklings in the faith. They're not weaklings physically. They're, they're mighty men that fall there. He who thinks he stands takes heed lest he fall. And that same verse in Proverbs goes on to say how they will be reduced to a crust of bread. You, you as men, you have great potential to lead like Reuben did. You have the ability to lead in strength and dignity to make impact in the world around you. But I want to tell you, you can squander it all by one act of adultery. You can throw it all away and have no one want to follow you at all. It will reduce you and your reputation to a crust of bread, as the Bible says. It happens way too often. We learn that lesson from Reuben. It says, now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servants, Dan and Naphtali. And the son of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. 
These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padanaram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, and Kirj, or Kirjath Arba, that is in Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his son Isaac, or his son Esau and Jacob buried him there. So there's this reunion of sorts. We don't have a lot of information as far as this season because Jacob didn't just go there when Isaac died. He went there and Isaac eventually died. So he had a season of life where the grandkids were hanging out with Grandpa Isaac. Joseph would have known Isaac. Isn't that interesting? But we don't get a lot of information regarding this season, only that Isaac... Uh, shortly dies, but he lived to be 180, which I believe is 80 years longer than he initially thought. Remember, he was gonna. He thought he was on his deathbed, and so they had to go in and get the blessing from him. He lived another 80 years after that. So sometimes we can get depressed and dramatic and think it's all over. And he had 80 more years uh, to live. But what this, what we do know about Jacob coming to Hebron is that he settled there. In just a couple of chapters, we'll see him dwelling in the valley of, Hib- of Hebron. So what this tells us is that Jacob did inherit, eventually inherit, Isaac's land and properties and riches. A lot of people will say the blessing that Isaac st- or Jacob stole was irrelevant because, because Esau did receive the, the monetary wealth. No, he didn't. Isaac was still alive this whole time. Jacob comes back. And we learn in the next chapter that Esau is still living in Seir because of his riches. He wants to keep his distance from Isaac and from Jacob. So Jacob inherits the promises like God said he would, like Isaac said he would. And what this tells us is that God is faithful to fulfill his promises in our lives. The road may be long and bumpy like it was for for Jacob, but God will show himself to be faithful on your behalf. He will. If he's promised things to you, if he's committed things in your heart, he's promised you the hope of heaven and the resurrection. I know that much. As far as the other things, specifics, I don't know what he's promised you, but he's faithful to keep his promises. He's promised to return, and he's, he's faithful to keep that promise. And we also end this chapter with a good reminder, as we see Isaac pass away, right, that, that life, that previous generation die. We're in this place, especially a lot of you guys, you're young, I mean, you've got a lot of life ahead of you, and you know maybe older folks who are passing away. We see even some young folks that are passing away. But I think it's always a reminder that we are heading toward old age, for one. One of the reasons why it says respect your elders because you will be one if the Lord grants you with enough years. You will be an old person who needs help from younger people to access their inbox on Gmail or whatever it is. Right? You will be that old person and you will eventually die. You will eventually reach your death day. We saw Isaac's birth his whole life and now we see his, his end. And so just ending with this, keeping it in mind that Isaac, he obtained the greatest goal you could ever, you could ever strive for, and that is heaven. He said he was gathered to his people. That didn't mean his bones were thrown in the same cave as Abraham's, which they were. It meant that he was gathered to the men and women of faith that have gone before him. He went to heaven. So may we live for heaven as well. Jacob is, is moving through his pilgrims, Isaac and Abraham, pilgrims moving through life. So re- know that returning to God is a return to to heading towards heaven. Making your chief goal heaven, not anything in this life, not anything in this earth. Amen? Let's all stand and let's pray.
And Father, we want to thank You for just Your faithfulness to us that You do keep Your promises. Lord, seldom is it in our timing, but You're so good to us. In fact, You provide beyond what we deserve. Beyond what, In fact, thank You, God, You don't give us what we deserve. But You provide beyond what we need according to Your mercy and Your grace. And I pray that You'd continue to do that for the men and women standing before me, God. That You would deal with them not according to Your wrath, but You would deal with my brothers and sisters here according to Your mercy. That You'd guide them, direct them, provide for them, give them clear vision, keep them from the path of the wicked one and the way of the wicked one. Keep them on Your path. Lord, and for those of who are here who have wandered from You, that they would return to You. That they would return to Your house and Your will, Lord God, having recognized the path that they're on is destruction. The path that they're on is futile. Lord, the path that they're on is the will of the enemy and it's the wrong direction. And so I pray that You'd give them the courage right now to take the next step. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to speak to You and let You know that there is room to come to Christ regardless of where You've been, Regardless of where you found yourself, what sins you've committed, it's not a coincidence you're hearing this message and there is room to return to God for you, even you. God is faithful and He's reaching out and inviting you right now. God has brought your ears to this message and He, de- he desires you to be right with Him. He desires you to be placed on a path to receive the greatest reward, which is the gift of forgiveness in eternal life, the gift of heaven through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you would like to return to the Lord, then like Jacob, let let what's happening on your heart impact your body, impact you in the physical. So those in this room, I'm going to ask you, if, if that's you, just raise your hand. If you're returning to the Lord, if you want to give your life to the Lord. It's awesome. Yeah. And if you're watching online, you can do it right where you're at. If you're listening to this podcast down the road, You can receive Jesus right this moment and forever change your eternal destination. And from this point forward, live with purpose, live with true hope and real direction in your life. Awesome, you can put your hands down. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. And this prayer doesn't save you. This prayer is not magical. But what this prayer does is it's, it's basically what a repentant heart says to the Lord. And being even new to the faith, you might not have all this verbiage. That's why I'm going to pray with you. But this is what your heart should be feeling. And so if your heart feels this, then, then repeat this prayer after me. You say, Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned and I know my sin has separated me from You. But I also know that I have forgiveness through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I invite You into my life and turn away from my idols. Turn away from my sins so that I can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're hearing this and you'd like to give your life to the Lord now, I invite you to take the next step. Text the words, ready for Jesus to 94,000 and we can follow up with you. One of our leaders will be able to contact you and get you some free resources to help you grow in the faith. We invite you to come out to our in-person services every Thursday evening at Calvary Tucson's East Campus in the coffee shop area. We meet at 6.30 p.m. for coffee and our service starts at 7 p.m. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you. Down away.